Are you ready to make 2017 the year you transform your life? You can wait for something to happen, or you're actually going to decide to go, go home after this weekend to do something about that. We all know that we have a very, very limited amount of time on this earth. So let's not have repeated years. Live your own life. Make the choice, make the decision for your own life. Fear is where you develop courage. There's a moment going, holy crap, all right, I'm gonna do this now. The Wellness Breakthrough is coming. And so you actually have that choice every single morning, every single day, every single moment to decide whether you're gonna live it to the fullest or not. Join myself, Marcus Pierce, and the Wellness Guys, Damien Christoph, Lawrence Tam, and Brett Hill for two nights and three days of transformation at the Country Place. Ten acres of breathtaking rainforest in the Dandenong Ranges of Victoria, February 17th to 19th. It's each and every single one of you are going to support each other in your journey, whatever that journey is. Couples discounts available, limited spots remaining for all information and to watch the spine-chilling video, go to thewellnessbreakthrough.com. Thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. This is Up For A Chat with Cindy O'Mara, Karen Smith and Kim Morrison. Here we are, up for a chat about the hottest topics that are important to you, inspiring you to awaken the change within. I'm Karen Smith. I'm Kim Morrison. And I'm Cindy O'Meara. Now, I have two amazing women um, here. They've morphed in their careers. I have Sue Barron, who's the brightly coloured one in orange. (laughs) (laughs) Cara Henstridge, who is the blue coloured one. The blue coloured Um, Anyway, both of these um, have been nurses in their career and I think Cara still is nursing. But what they are now is they're DNA practitioners and they work with Smart DNA, which is in Victoria. Uh, And I want them both to introduce themselves, what they've done, why they've gone from, you know, a medical background to what they're doing now, which is still got a medical feel to it, but it's also looking at the microbiome as well as alleles and SNPs and we're going to learn all about those. So this is an extension for all of you in your education and learning more and more about where the future of medicine is and where the future of nutrition is. So welcome. Carol, let's start with you. Um, Let's talk about, um, firstly, why you are doing Smart DNA and where you've come from in your career. So I started... I've been nursing for nearly 30 years now, which I can't believe. And one of the things that got me interested in um, nursing was my fascination with the human body. When I was studying high school in biology and chemistry, I just was absolutely overwhelmed with how amazing our bodies are with the functions they do and what they do. And that led me into, I could have gone to medicine, but I wanted to do, I suppose that was my nurturing side came out in wanting to do the nursing side of it. So, I mean, I've been doing it for 30 years now. It's not something I wanted to do forever and I've been searching for something different to do that's outside of nursing. And part of my, you know, I've had my own health and wellness issues over the years, which I still continue to have. 
and still struggling to find what it is that I might want to do outside of nursing but still use the skills and, um, that I've built up from that. Then a couple of years ago, I had known Sue for about um, 10 years in the past through something totally unrelated to DNA and then I... Um, went to a talk where Sue was presenting a couple of years ago and my total experience with DNA testing was all around disease. So it was all through the traditional medical model where it was testing whether you had genes for certain diseases, etc. It was all about illness and whether you were going to had a high chance of getting ill with certain diseases. So my exposure through um, with Smart DNA was it was about wellness and how you could have an impact on your health and wellness. And that just blew me away because I thought that is just brilliant. And it was using something for a very positive thing and it reignited my passion about health and wellness and about the body and how amazing it is. And I, um, you know, I've done a lot of reading and all that and I've had my own DNA since then and just discovering that it's that whole the more you you know, looking into things the more you realise you don't know and just this whole world it's becoming of doing wellness genomics. You can certainly see other um, people talking about it, um, you know, whether it's online groups or whatever, but all around taking control of people, the people taking control of their own health and wellness. And I just love that it's for such a positive reason. I love the way Smart DNA works and operates and I have loved Sue's philosophy around how she presents the information. You get, um, you do get from Smart DNA a comprehensive report and then we actually sit down, I'm being very much mentored by Sue to do the same thing, sit down with people and go through it in great detail. So you get the very practical side of things that you can do day in, day out to improve your health and wellness and your life and that you know, and how you feel every day as you go about your life. And it certainly had a, a big impact on me. And I wanted to then not just use it for myself. I want everyone to have their DNA tested. <laughs> I just think the information that I get is just so exciting. And it just, I think, oh, my goodness, everyone needs to know this about themselves because it takes some guesswork out of how your body works. And I know your DNA is not everything, but your microbiome and everything has a big impact on how your body works as well. Um, and all your environmental factors and all that, but it's how you react with your environment, with your genes, that's so important. And I just think it's fascinating and I wish everyone could do it because it just gives you some control and knowledge about yourself. And I love that and I love the philosophy and the way that Smart DNA and, and Sue works and I admire that and I'm, you know, teaching myself that with her help to... Um, and to become a practitioner and develop that as um, a way out of the traditional medicine model that I'm working under, which I'm, which very much is an illness model, not a wellness model, and I really want to get out of that, um, not just for my own health but for everyone's health. It's The health system's not in a good place. It's not got a good philosophy in the way it's run as a business, etc. It's not about helping people necessarily and there's great people in there don't get me wrong but the overall it's very hard for them to to function in the um the health system as such and i think this is a great way to help people um give them information give them control for them to to work on their own health which is what i think a lot of people are wanting particularly those with problems that are not being one of the very expressions solved by traditional medicine, um, or not traditional, I should say conventional. I think traditional has been around for thousands mm. of years. More modern medicine, it's only been around a couple of hundred. I don't think serving a lot of people in this world these days and people are looking for answers. And I think this is a tool that does give you not just 
some actual scientific answers that's got scientific backing to it, but action steps and things that you can take to improve your life. And I just think it's fantastic. I want everyone to do it. <laughs> that's my dream anyway. <laughs> How I teach, I teach, and, and my students know this, is that, you know, I teach historical perspective and I talk about natural foods. And um, I would say up until about two decades ago, we were able to help most people by thinking naturally, giving them the foods that they needed. But with the way the world is going, the way, the, the amount of chemicals, the amount of, you know, we're talking about methylation and, and all of those things that are happening. And because our microbiome is completely out of whack, that sometimes we need these tools in order to, you know, not guess. And back in those days, I don't think we were guessing. It was just let's feed the body the way it should be fed. Mm-hmm. But I think yeah. we've done things to the body epigenetically. We've done things to the body generationally um, that we're starting to change things. And that's, I guess, one of the things that we learn with, with um, DNA testing is that what is changing. So let's go to you now, Sue. Um, and this is Sue Barron, and Sue Barron also started as a nurse, but she hasn't been one for quite some time. So, Sue, do you want to just give a background of um, of what you do? And, and I think it's really in, you know, important that you throw that husband of yours in there. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, look, I'm originally from New Zealand, and I grew up on a farm, so life was very simple back then, and I, you know, and it was a great life. Um, then I did my nurse training met my husband he's a doctor he's a cardiologist now and we were very I did my nursing training said that so um, we were very much into the sickness industry um, back then and I did that for about 15 years moved to Australia and left that model and brought up my children and I never went back partly because um, of a few issues that came up along the way with my family and health issues etc so um, and then I discovered the wellness industry and decided that, uh, that made so much more sense than the sickness industry. And it wasn't until my son was born and he's now 21, uh, 21, he's 19. My daughter's 21. He's 19. And, um, but he was diagnosed at three and a half with autism. And, um, I decided that we had to try and find a way that he could lead a normal life because I believed he was born totally normal and this somehow he tipped into the autism spectrum at some stage um, in his early years and I thought right there's obviously a way there's a reason this happened there's a way out of it so certain things you know we tried a lot of things along the way that were um, that was safe I wasn't prepared to do anything that was not safe and that was you know um, anything that was safe and reasonably natural we would do so it was, uh, look, quite a few things have made a lot of difference to him. One of the big things was boosting his glutathione levels, and that's one thing I'm very passionate about because that made a massive difference to him. Um, and it was actually a year later that I um, met Dr. Margie Smith from Smart DNA, and it was through meeting her that I decided we needed to get our whole family's DNA mapped out because I thought that would give me some answers and it did. You know, it gave me answers as to why he had responded. It gave me answers as to why he was predisposed to autism in the first place. It gave me answers as to why my father was predisposed to Alzheimer's and ended up with Alzheimer's. I totally got that from his DNA. And for me, 
I'm extremely toxin sensitive. It gave me answers as to why I was and why I was beginning to suffer. My house was suffering and, um, you know, I was lacking energy. I had so many aches and pains, which I soon learned out. I was still learned that I was storing a lot of toxins in my body and didn't have the ability to get rid of them because my body doesn't have the ability to make um, glutathione and it doesn't have the ability to make other antioxidants that the body naturally normally produces. So um, it was the DNA that gave me a lot of answers. It gave me answers as to why I had had three miscarriages, you know, um, before I had my children. And, uh, you know, I thought, my gosh, this is information I wish I had had back then. It would have taken away a lot of pain and suffering. And if I had known that then, you know, I remember feeling like this is so unfair. Uh, My friends are having, you know, getting pregnant and having their children. I keep losing mine. And it was methylation. And you talked about methylation. You know, I'm homozygous for the 6770. And I, you know, I'm 70% compromised and, uh, reduced enzyme activity with that particular MTHFR gene. And, you know, had I known that, I wouldn't have taken folic acid. I would have taken an activated form of folate and things would have been different. And, you know, I totally recognise that now. But, um, you know, it was actually through our journey with Sam, my son, that my husband, who had been very conventional, um, you know, hard-nosed, conventional medicine, uh, nutritional supplements um, were just expensive urine and um, and really didn't understand the power of nutrition. And what he saw happen to our son totally changed the way he practices as a cardiologist. And he has now decided that preventative cardiology is there's a huge gap in the market for preventative cardiology and that's something he's wanting to get into. So, um, you know, it's, uh, he, he's, he's self-taught, he, he, but he does as much learning about nutrition now as he does about, um, you know, his, the conventional side of medicine. So, uh, which is great. But um, so, so, yeah, DNA, understanding our DNA gave me a lot of answers and I decided that, right, a lot of people need to know about this. We are so lucky that we actually have an insight into what could happen and that we can prevent it. I didn't know that. I've been through things in my in my life that have probably made me stronger, but I needn't have necessarily gone through them. And other people, if they've got that insight, can prevent going through that. And I think that's really, really important um, I know, for instance, with my own DNA, I'm like a, the canary in the coal mine. I'm extremely toxin sensitive. So anything that's going to affect anyone is going to hit me first. Um, and that makes sense when you look at my history with my father with Alzheimer's, you know, a son with autism and, um, and, and the fact that I, you know, I, I believe it was never diagnosed, but I believe I was probably heading down the fibromyalgia line and you think, well, um, you know, we. Um, it's nice to be able to prevent that. If I could have prevented all of that, um, it would have made my life a lot easier. I'm really healthy now. I feel like I'm back in my 20s rather than in my 50s, which is fantastic. Though I'm extremely grateful I have the information that I have. Um, it's made a massive difference to my life, absolutely massive. It's made a massive difference to 
my family's life and also to a lot of other people who have had their DNA done. And I get people all the time that come to me saying, we've gone down, you know, all the routes medically wise. We've got, we've even gone to naturopaths. Nothing, no one's got answers for us. And they come and see me and have their DNA mapped out and it gives them answers. I'm not saying it always, um, you know, cures them or anything, but it, gives them answers, they understand how their body functions better mm-hmm. and they can take actions to start to upregulate those good, you know, healthy genes and downregulate the disease-causing genes and so many times it changes their quality of life significantly. Mm-hmm. So. Now, you're both DNA practitioners and um, you work with Smart DNA. and one of the things that Smart DNA does is the microbiome. So we'll briefly talk about testing for the microbiome and, and the different ways in Australia, or the two different ways in Australia um, that it's tested for. Because I, I, I listened to Jason Horlick um, and he compared the five um, places in Australia that we get the microbiome tested as well as one in the US, which was Ubiome. And he said that basically um, some tests for RNA and DNA and the, for ones that we know the microbiome exists, we've, got, we've sequenced that versus some test as a culture. Could you explain what smart DNA do with the microbiome? Or is, is that... <laughs> you are asking me yes. a question. You need to ask Dr. Margie Smith that question, and I think you need to interview her because, look, I've had mine done. I haven't got a great understanding of it. Um, I do know... Look, it's a reasonably comprehensive test. Looked at a lot of different bacteria. It's only bacteria that they that they tend to look at um, at the moment. And you know, um, then you try and look at balancing those bacteria and getting rid of. I, you know, I know for my own instance, I had a really nasty inflammatory bacteria in my in my gut that I needed to get rid of. Something called Prevotellicopri and often predisposes people to MS or autoimmune and something that I actually didn't realise that I had but had no idea that I would have had it Um, and I've since retested and that has been totally suppressed. But any hard questions there, (laughs) I need to put you in touch with Dr. Margie Smith and she will, you can interview her, she'd be delighted. We will will do that with Margie, but we know that they do sequencing through DNA and RNA as opposed to culture. Mm-hmm. Okay. Anaerobic bacteria, um, and this is for the students. So we have yeah. anaerobic bacteria a lot in our, um, like the distal part of our small intestine as well as the large intestine. And when you expose that to oxygen, they may pass away. They die. So the, when you get the deposit of, of feces and you send it off, it's exposed to oxygen. So um, with DNA sequencing, even though they're dead, we still get to do that. And so... There's a vast difference when you send them to Ubiome, Smart DNA. Um, I can't even remember all the ones um, that are there at the moment. Um, and they're finding that they have different, um, different, not different tests, but they fi- have different findings. And, um, and when they have different findings, then how do we know who's correct and who's not? Mm. So it was very interesting listening to, Jason Hall, like, do this because he what he did was he tested his poo <laughs> to the yep. and he found that everybody came out with something different. And with what they came up with, you would um, treat differently. 
So let's, um, we will talk to Margie and I will talk to her about that because that would be. Yeah, dude, she's the expert. I totally am not. All right. So what we will talk about is the, the, the DNA testing that we do um, for the human being's DNA, not so much for the microbiome's DNA. Because remembering yeah. that we are 90% microbiome DNA mm. and we're 10% um, our DNA. Mm. And when they did the gene sequencing and they understood that we only had, what, 26,000 or 28,000, they went, okay, hang on, that, that's not much more than a worm. There's something happening here. But yeah. they are still important. So can you explain to me what... The DNA sequencing is all about how do you get that information from us? Is it blood? Is it saliva? Is it urine? So let's start at the basics, then when it gets to your lab and then when it gets to you and how you, because many times, especially with um, 23andMe, you just get it back and it looks like a a load of another language, a Latin language at that, you know. Let's talk about... Cara, do you want to talk about how is it that we, you get our DNA? What do we have to do here back at my office? So that's, it's a saliva test. So okay. you just need to, oh, just going to get one. So it's just spitting into a tube. You only need um, a mil or so of saliva. And they have children's ones as well, which are just a swab, which you can swab on their um, gums and their mouth. So okay. I think yep. it's spitting to the tube literally, just a little mil. And then that gets sent off to the lab. So, yeah, very easy. Just about a little two. Yep. Yeah. (laughs) So you just can't eat or drink for half an hour beforehand. And then, yes, then you just got to produce a little bit of saliva. Just from there to there. And then there's preservative in the lid. So so the lid, you close the lid and the preservative um, sinks down and then you unscrew it, put a cap on and label it, fill out a form, and send it off. Yeah. That's easy. We can do that. It's really easy. And the lab's yeah. in um, Adelaide. So, uh, and then they um, send the report back, which has uh, so it's 100 um, genes, mm-hmm. and you get a 100-page report back. So there's like a 30-page summary at the front, and then that's expanded at the back. Um, with each gene, um, there's expanded explains it, explains about the gene. It's got it's in colour, so it's got colour code as to whether you've got the red, which means it's not such a good. Red means action. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you need to read something. Red means it. you've got to do something about it. Green means it's okay. You're all good. It's, you know, the wild type. It's just it's so called normal. Normal. Okay. Yeah. And yeah, red needs is action. So it explains what it what the test is for, what it um, and then what it means, and then it gives you some action steps around if you've got a red, what you need to do, and even if you've got the green, sometimes it talks about what helps support that, what you should continue to do. Would you like to give me an example, Cara, of one of those? Just no, just yeah, like one that we all have heard of, like MTHFR or MTR or COMT, or one of the ones in the really, cycle. Okay, well, a really simple one is caffeine metabolism. Oh, okay. It looks at your caffeine metabolism. So it talks about um, what it, what caffeine metabolism means, then it gives you the genetic test results. So this person is a slow caffeine metabolizer. Um, and then it explains what that means, and then it talks about what steps you should you should have for someone who's a slow caffeine metabolizer. And it'll be interesting because some people who come up with this red, they'll say, 
um, you know, I have a piece of chocolate at night, I'm awake all night. Yeah. Um, and, it, you know, people have these little moments of clarity and think, oh, that's why that happens to me or that's why I'm like that. And it sort of sometimes can confirm things that you sort of knew about yourself but you hadn't really either thought about or you just thought you were a bit odd or <laughs> whatever. But, um, so, yes, that one's quite a common one where people say, oh, yeah, I can't have coffee after three in the afternoon or, yeah, piece of, someone who I know had theirs done, they just have one piece of chocolate after dinner and that's it, they're awake all night. Whereas I'm a fast metabolizer of caffeine. So, um, and it's, I don't have much caffeine, but it doesn't keep me up at night if I was to have a cup of tea, if I was out for dinner, say. So well, this is me and I knew a long time ago that I couldn't drink coffee. I would get palpitations from drinking coffee. So I've known and then that just confirmed it and I thought, oh, well, that makes so much sense. So, yeah, there, there is there is a plus with that because we hold on to the antioxidant content of the caffeine for longer, so we actually gain, get more benefits from it and there's been studies done to actually prove that. So, you know, reduce risk of things like breast cancer um, when you are a slow caffeine metabolizer. So you might think it's a negative, mm. but it's actually... There's a, there's a positive that goes with it. So, um, and, and we see that with quite a few genes. You know, you think, oh, you know, I've got a mutation there. That's a negative. But quite often you can swing it around and there can be a positive as well from a different angle. Can we do some terminology here? So I've heard you say a few things. So can we have the, the, um, what, the term allele, SNP, and mutation? Can you explain those three terms? Okay, pretty much um, a SNP is a, is a, is a variant, basically. Um, so you've got the, uh, what do we do? It's a, it's a variant from the normal. So you've got, a, you've got a variant from the normal. And what happens is you get, there's four letters, you get, a, T, G, and C. There's these four letters. And, um, you know, you inherit one of those from your mother and one of those letters from your father. And A always goes with T, G, G always goes with C. So you'll inherit, um, for instance, so that's an allele, an allele. You'll inherit the A maybe from your mother and you might inherit the A from your father as well. So that would mean your homozygous. Um, so... Yeah, so a mutation is when it's a mutation from, from the normal. So you, you're not, they call it the wild type, you're not the normal. You've got, um, it, you've got a variant. You've got... But how do they know what normal is? Seriously. Exactly. I actually don't know because it's really interesting. With my DNA, you know, I, I've got a very ancient um, gene or when it comes to APOE, you know, I've got the APOE4 gene. That's the very ancient type. Now, that was great for me back in caveman era because I was a survivor back then and there were no toxins, you know, we hadn't reached the chemical age. Um, I was more resistant to infection. We come to modern age, I haven't evolved and I am really toxin sensitive. So, you know, I have to be so careful about what I come in contact with because I'm going to store all those toxins. I don't have the ability to get rid of them. And that's, you know, I'm the, 
I'm the canary in the coal mine. So, and there's a, there's obviously like what you're saying, a survival of the fittest. So yeah, the EPOE. Um, I think that's what you said. Yeah, you could fight infection, but yeah. you can't handle toxins. And and I'm learning this more and more. I hear that people with celiac disease are able to, or with the celiac gene, are able to handle parasites better than the ones that can't. And those with the BRAC1 and the BRAC2 were more, more fertile than not. So we're, we're beginning to learn that these genes, even though they make us more susceptible to breast cancer, not saying that you're going to get breast cancer, they seem to be have they have a, a benefit in them as well. Mm, I, know. I know. it's Yeah, I know. That's exactly right. And that's what I'm finding with, with these as well. You know, you think, you think, oh, that's a bad gene. It's actually not necessarily. There'll be an upside to it somewhere and then you've got to try and balance it out. I, I, lo- I love this because I always, I'm always against this good, bad thing, you know, yes. bad cholesterol. Um, and, I'm, and, and the genes were getting to me as well with the variants and the alleles and the mutations. And, and for me, the, somebody who has um, a gene that expresses itself, such as in hemophilia, so I'm from a family of hemophiliacs, people oh. with hemophilia, so I, we are very strong in that gene. But that was a gene that's expressed and is, is life-threatening, as is the gene, you know. And, and so when I hear variants and when I hear alleles, but they're not necessarily expressing themselves, such as the celiac or BRAC1, BRAC2, then, you know, I started to go, well, this isn't making any sense to me because I know with hemophilia it's expressed. In the mm. They're diagnostic genes, yeah. and we're looking here at... Ah, non-diagnostic genes we're looking at nutritional genomics so there's hardcore diagnostic genes which i still believe for some of them like the BRCA genes and i don't think this has been totally proven well there has i was looking at a study just the other day actually um people with the BRCA genes that um that drink coffee more than four cups of coffee today actually have reduced incidence of breast cancer so you know the environment still does affect that gene and I I've been working recently with some people with Huntington's disease in the family and it's my feeling and we will we get to see but it's my feeling that maybe if we can not trigger that gene that maybe it may not trigger I don't know um you know and that involves keeping your antioxidant defense extremely high to try not to trigger it but so much that we don't know but it's worth it's worth a shot. Yeah. So there is no way that lifestyle is going to change anything with someone with hemophilia. No. But because there's nothing about epigenetics that can change mm. that. But yeah. with BRAC, the BRAC, BRAC. And mm. BRAC 1 and 2 and, the, and, and even celiac, yeah. how we can influence them. So, yeah. Yeah. so with, those, with those celiac genes, like if you... If you've got any of those celiac genes, you know, the, the two we look at, the D, DQ um, 2.5 and the DQ8, I think it is. Because um, the smart DNA does look at celiac genes. And, and what's interesting is when people get a blood test, it's not actually completely reliable because I've had someone come to me and say, oh, no, I don't have any of the celiac genes. I've had my blood tested. And 
she had both, like she was high risk of celiac disease. And I said to Dr. Margie Smith, what's the story here? And she said, the DNA is the most reliable. The blood test is actually not that reliable. So, which is really interesting. So you can get false, false positives or false negatives with the blood test. Um, is that for tissue transglutaminase? Or because they used to use um, gliadin, uh, um, what is it, um, alpha-gliadin testing, and then they did tissue transglutaminase in blood tests. And um, so they, they've changed their tests quite a lot, I, I've found, um, with, with it. And, and I know that different tissue transglutaminases relate to gluten being a problem either in the gut or the brain um, or the joints. So, yeah. you know, there's, there's, those are those testing, whereas, uh, you know, we're, we're looking at these, um, you know, this. And like I said, when I started this, I'm acting like someone who knows nothing, which I feel like I know nothing. Oh. <laughs> you know something? I don't think any of us... I have learned so much. In the five and a half years I've been doing this, Cindy, I'm constantly learning. It's like this information is suddenly coming out there and becoming available, but we, do, we know nothing yet. This is so new. Mm. It is. And my um, beautiful Dr. Stephen Myers, who is the person who is the head of education here, I've spoken to him about this. And he says to me, it's all very well and good to look at the SNP, but what's mm -hmm. happening in the chain before and what's happening in the chain after and what are the enzymes they're producing? So he's very wary. I, I must yeah. very wary, even though um, I think what you guys are doing is just fascinating and I want to give him some information on this. Um, but he was always, because that's all he does is he, he works in genetics and so he, he questions this. But what I've seen, Cara, you know, what she Sorry. Sorry. Blown me, you know, it's blown me away. And I've watched my daughter have her genetic testing done. Um, and, you know, we realise that she, she doesn't have MTHFR, but she's got MTRR and she's got COMT, which is all in that methylation cycle. Yeah. Can we, oh, I've got a million questions that are just rolling to me. <laughs> so I'm, I'm exactly. Up, isn't it? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's why I got so excited about it. Oh, I bet you did. And, and the fact that you guys read these. Yeah. My mind. That you because if people get it, if people open up their, um, their report, they'll look at it and they always say, I didn't know where to start. It's mind-boggling. There's a couple of things I could understand, and they're usually the basic ones like caffeine, slow caffeine metabolizer or something. But once we've gone through it with them, they go away. It takes us about two hours to go through it with them. And um, once we've done that, they have a far greater understanding of how their body functions. And what they need to do about it, and the interesting thing is, Cindy, even when it comes to exercise, you know, we all know we should exercise. People know they should exercise when it's written here in this and it's about them, they actually go away and do it. Whereas they know they should do it. They don't know exactly what impact it's having on different parts of their body. Well, they vaguely do, but this is actually written here about them. Well, in, in our um, course, we actually talk about the benefits of exercise on the gene and especially the genes for health. And it's like they turn on 70% of them, um, you know, when you do do some movement. And when we think about our evolution, so you're, we were talking about evolution before. And so when we're talking about evolution, we're looking at um, the evolution of the body. It always moved. 
it didn't like he, we, the three of us are sitting here now. Often I'm standing. I haven't got my standing desk up. At <laughs> like often I'm standing because I realise the importance of not just sitting all the time. So mm-hmm. yeah, we know that. What about we haven't changed, but the the world has changed. Okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. Epigen- epigenetically we've changed greatly. Genetically we may not have changed not a lot, a little bit, but not a lot. You got that EPOE thing sitting there. You know, you're ancient. I know I'm ancient. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I know about it. Ancient girl in a modern world. <laughs> exactly. She's living in a modern world. Yeah. <laughs> she a song for this, I'm sure. <laughs> so um, one of the things that um, I've learned this year is I went to a, um, trying to think, biocuticals conference and Dr. Mark Houston, who's a cardiologist in Nashville, Tennessee, was speaking. And he talked about the current um, protocol for someone who's had a heart attack or, you know, is not doing well. So it was five medications, Plavax, basically a Crestor or um, an anti, a statin drug, I should say, a statin drug, um, aspirin, um, beta blockers, and I can't remember what the fifth one was now. But he said 50% of people can't metabolise aspirin and it causes a problem. Now, do you have this? We don't look at that, and at some stage, Smart DNA probably will do a pharmacological report. They don't at the moment. Like, there's a few things you can um, ascertain from this. Um, you know, things like uh, with the comp gene you were talking about before, people, um, it kind of magnifies if you're on Ritalin, for instance, for ADHD, it might magnify the effects of that if you've got a, um, you know, one of the mutations within the comp gene. Um, And same with caffeine, it might magnify caffeine. But um, we don't look at um, medication at the moment with this. It's purely, uh, there's probably things you can work out, but yeah. Yeah. So let's look at what you do look at then. Um, let's let's talk about the things you look at and and um, yeah, I, like I'm going all over the place, not knowing. Yeah. And I said, when I started this, by the way, students, when I started this, I said, I'm in, I'm going to interview these girls as though I know nothing. <laughs> I really don't. Cara's been been annoying me for quite some time. So like, <laughs> let me do this little sample. Yes, yeah, there you go. <laughs> That's been sitting on my desk. Here we are. We've got glutathione. We've got um, Max ATP. (laughs) Dark microbiome test. So, uh, Cara's been, you know, annoying me for a long time. I need to be interested. I knew, and you know I am, and I just—it was like that one more thing I had to learn. I know. All of a sudden, I went. You know what? I don't have to learn this. I just knew you too. And then um, when you did your education day and you had, there was so much genetic stuff in that too, which the last time I heard you speak on your education, it was like 18 months earlier. And it's interesting how much has developed in that time because, you know, I certainly see it everywhere people talk about the genetics and you've obviously seen it too because it's coming up in your work as well. And I know when I um, sort of put it out there and took that, that step to actually like, you know, register a business name and start a Facebook page. If you, if so many people came up to me, some from your education group, to say it's come up in discussion in the course and, you know, they're after some more information as well. So it's certainly out there. We're all finding all this very interesting. Look, I absolutely find it interesting and I think when we look at nutrigenomics and genomics and we're understanding that we do have variants and 
And the fact that you looking at a hundred, at least you're not looking at the whole freaking lot. <laughs> this, is, this is when you were saying before about 23 and me, the difference between 23 and me and smart DNA is I've tried to decipher a 23 and me for a friend. And I looked at it and thought, I really don't know where to start here. There wasn't a lot of information. They look at a lot more gene snips, but it was almost like, you get a lot of conflicting information because of that. So with Smart DNA, um, Dr. Margie Smith has taken the ones that she feels are really important, and a lot of them will override a lot of the smaller genes that um, you know that may not be as influential. So you know, with methylation, for instance, you know, she looks at the ones she feels are really, really important, and whereas I know Twenty Three and Me look at a bigger panel, but we get. A lot, we get some really good information on this. When I looked at the 23andMe one for this friend and I was thinking, oh, it, it really, I found it really hard to advise her on what to do because there was too much conflicting information there and um, this I find a lot easier. It's, yeah. it's set out really easily uh, and isn't particularly conflicting, so... So let's talk about some, um, so we, we talked about SNPs, remember we were talking about terminology, so we talked yeah. about being a variant of the norm, but we don't know what the norm is, but yeah. variant, got that one. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I'm not in the, any of the wiser, but I've got that one. What's an allele? Explain the terminology of allele. An allele. What's the... <laughs> Margie Scott, she used to write the terminology down at the beginning and um, I can tell you in a minute. I, I know what it is in my head, but when I try and explain it to other people, um, it's that one part, you know, you inherit one allele from the mother and one allele from the father. So it's, it's that A or that T that you, in, that you inherit, which makes up that... Um, you know, it's like the yeah. arms, isn't it? Like, yes. it is. But, it is. Uh, yeah, the, the, it's the chromosomes on the but, arms, and then yeah. Like, but the correct definition, Cindy, the official definition. Uh, Maggie will tell, will tell you what that one is. Like, <laughs> what is the correct definition of my, my strength and Cara's strength is relaying to the public. So, um, and putting simplifying everything. So we've got this whole book here of um, of someone's report. And we need to try and make it so that they can understand it. And that's, that's our strength more so than the scientific side of it. <laughs> that's, that's fine. So the ATGC are yeah. four amino acids. And one of them, I believe, is glycine. And I, I'm pretty sure... Turing glycine, turing glycine, adenine and... Doing glycine and C. C is actually it's in her book. <laughs> this, is, this is Maggie's book. I don't know if you've seen this book. No. She wrote, um, it's been published just over a year ago. My students will be going right now. Not another book. book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's that what I love about it is it's not only just been written by Maggie, it was also written with a journalist. Yes. So that it's um, Easy for us to read. Yeah, it is. And anyone can read it. Like, not you don't have to have a scientific background. It's um, and there's lots of great stories in there around people with their genes as well. And it, it's been put in a very, very user friendly way. Very easy to read. Oh but it is 
fascinating. If you really want to get into it, it's really good. Here we go. We've got adenine, we've got thymine, we've got cytosine, that's the C, and guanine. Oh, it's guanine. Guanine, yep. All right. Yes. So we we know that they're in the amino acids, and it's all different types of sequences that they mm-hmm. that they do. Yeah. Um, now, uh, is a mutation okay? We'll go to the third terminology now. Is a, ter- a mutation um, like hemophilia? Is that the mutation? Yes. Yes, it is. So it's a variant from the normal. Is would be the so called normal um, would be the mutation. So I might have yeah. to. Um, Dr. Stephen Myers to do a few terminologies for us. So that- his terminology would be far more um, uh, scientific? scientific than <laughs> ours is. <laughs> All right, let's let's then talk about the book that you, that is given, and then you explain to everybody, you know, what happened. Do you mm-hmm. want to explain some of the ones that um, you are finding with more and more people? One of the things that. Um, that Dr. Stephanie talks about is that there's DNA methylation. So she's worried about in development what's happening to the gene sequences in development. And then there is cell methylation. So, um, and a lot of the students have done a lot with methylation. You know, at the, at the July conference in Melbourne, we did, um, we had, what's her name, Dr. Avard, Nicole Avard. We had Dr. Nicola Avard talking about methylation so there's no affair bit of it think about the ones that you see again at the moment and what are the recommendations for that if we see that okay so you're you're wanting us to talk about methylation here that's Any, anything that you are seeing oh anything okay vitamin d okay that's yeah a really really good one a lot of, look, we're all generally deficient in vitamin D. A lot of us don't have the ability to absorb it from the sun, okay? So no matter how much sunlight we see, some people will say, oh, but I, I'm tanned and I go out in the sun all the time. They can still have a really low vitamin level of vitamin D because they don't have the ability to absorb it. So when it comes back, high risk of high deficiency, high risk of deficiency in vitamin D, that's alarm bells for me. And I say, you really need to go and get your levels done. We need to know your baseline because if it's sitting low at around 20, they need to do something quite drastically to get that up because that's going to predispose them more to things like cancers or autoimmune or lots of different chronic diseases, but they need to get that up as quickly as possible. So, um, and a lot of those people will say, idea what my vitamin d level is they they don't know and they don't recognize how important um maintaining a high level of vitamin d is so so when there's variants of vitamin d so how how do we know like i heard you say you know folic acid versus um, folate folate. i want to go to that one yeah variants of vitamin d so how do you know what we, you know, like I know how vitamins and minerals are made and I'm not always happy with it. Do you say eat liver or liver tablets or do you say there's a specific vitamin D because of your SNP or your variant? I tend to tell them to use vitamin D3 and supplement with um, I, look, the one I get is from vitamin research products and I I get it. I buy it from the US. It's available online, and I tell people to go and and um, get that one, or there may be another form of vitamin D three that um, 
that they want to get that they can buy online, I tend to tell them to use the 5,000 I use and we can't get that here in Australia. They can only get the 1,000. And I'll sometimes have people who say, I know know my vitamin D was really low, it was around 20, so I take one spray or I take two sprays or something and it's still not enough for someone that just does not have the ability to absorb it from the sun. And it'd be a bit like, you know, people that come from countries closer to the equator, they come and live here in Australia, they just don't have the ability to absorb it. As sun cannot penetrate... um, they can't absorb it. So they will they will be people that will have really low levels very often, and, and you do see that. And they're the people that need to be taking a higher dose. So you kind of need to know your level rather than just guessing. Sure, they know they're at high risk. That's, that's the trigger for them to go and get a blood test done. And I say go and get a test done. You know what you're dealing with then. Then you know how much you need to supplement and if you need to supplement, but most people with vitamin D do tend to. So is that, what's the name of that SNP? That SNP, well, Margie looks at, okay, there's two here that she looks at. So there's DHCR7. Yeah. CR7. She looks at CYP2R1, so CYP2R1, and she looks at GC. So, so there's a few of them. There's three. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I can see that. Look at me going closer. Everyone will be going, <laughs> and, and then she's got this lovely pathway on here yeah. that actually shows where these, um, where the problems are with these particular um, gene SNPs. So, yeah. So in your I don't look at that pathway too much, Cindy. I just look at what she's written and she'll say, Moderately increased risk, high um, high risk or slight risk, and you know straight away from that that okay. Go get your bloods done. Go and get your bloods done. Um, tell your doctor that you actually need to get your bloods done. Um, there's a reason for it. And so. for me, I didn't. I never had my vitamin D tested till I was over forty, and it was low. And I battled for ages to try and get any rise, and I was taking some five thousand supplements from um, an integrated. GP and it was really hard to get it moving up and you know tried more sunshine etc and then it wasn't until um I had my DNA done I'm red for vitamin D so I've got very reduced and I thought well no wonder I have trouble <laughs> getting yeah. it up because I'm not actually genetically as blessed to be able to to do that it's always going to be hard for me and I probably will always have to supplement and make sure I eat my mushrooms that have been in the sunshine and because I know that Apparently makes great vitamin D in the mushrooms if they've been the sun and, and things like that. But um, but it also made me look a bit more at myself. I used to get, you know, um, the to- in winter I used to get the top of my thighs used to get really itchy and even just a little bit under my arms. And it wasn't until I realised how low my vitamin D was and how bad I was at processing. And I only used to ever notice it during winter and I thought I was having too hot a showers and the cold weather down here in Melbourne. And... Now we tracked it back that it was, you know, my vitamin D was super low during the winter. It was just that little bit worse because I do get out during the summer. So I do try and get more sun in summer, even though because it's really only worth it in Melbourne to get it during the high summer time down here. And then, yeah, supplement as well and um, eat more foods with the vitamin D in it. But I know now I really have to make a concentrated effort to keep up my vitamin D, similar with my Omega 3s, that was a big one for me. I don't, I'm allergic to fish and seafood, 
So I'm, you know, it's, I can't eat them. They make me very unwell. So I've always been aware that I'm, I probably should, um, you know, have my flaxseed oils and, and do that, but I was very haphazard around it. But after having my genes done, I actually not good at processing my omega-3s and everything. And I'm so it really makes me more aware that I, to me, with all the benefits of having your good omega-3s, I have to really focus on making that one of my priorities in my nutrition is making sure that I do get that in there because I'm not going to get it through your usual supplement ways or through um, food as much apart from probably the flax oil that I do take. We know that we have um, omega-3s are precursors to EPA and DHA. Yeah. If you're allergic to fish, which is where our EPA and DHA is, except Mm -hmm. the DHA is in seaweed, then by only taking omega-3, let's say you take my Inky Inchi oil, which is very... Yes, yes, I'll take that as well. Convert? Can you convert to EPA and DHA? Are you able to do that? Well, I think so because mm-hmm. I certainly know when I... it's um, I'm, I can do it, but I am genetically compromised around doing it. So, But if I'm not getting enough in the first place, mm-hmm. I'm never going to be able to process it. So, You're just prone to low levels. Yeah. So you, yeah, you're prone to lower levels, so you need to work harder at... Keeping them up, keeping them up, yeah. <laughs> One of the things that people talk about with fish oils, and, and I just think this is a great conversation to have, is they talk about with fish oils, it says, oh, we can't convert our omega-3s to EPA and DHA. We have a limiting enzyme. And I, I question always the limiting enzyme, but maybe it's a limiting enzyme in a percentage of the population, not the whole mm. population. Because mm. if you've got a SNP and you're not creating, you're not have, making enough of that enzyme, then you're not going to be making the EPA and the DHA that you need. So that's that has actually clarified something for me because I go, well, if it's limiting, there must be a reason why it's limiting. And so I looked at fish and I went, well, how well do they convert um, to the EPA and the DHA? And they convert it between 9 and 12%. Humans convert omega-3s to EPA and DHA at a rate of 9 to 22%. So I figured we're better and more efficient at it. Fish. I was a little bit, but now I realise. we're compromised. Yes. Yeah. There's yeah, most people, and that's why they can't do it. We're not all equal. Experience. <laughs> all right, let's talk about folic acid because yeah. it's been in the news of late. Because, and I don't know if, if you've heard about this, but there's a lot of babies being born with tongue tied and lip tied, mm. and they're relating it to um, a snip, and the women taking the folic acid, and they're not processing it to the active form. It rolling around in the blood and causing midline problems. Now, tell me about what is it about that? Why can't they process folic acid into folate? What's happening there? Or what, what are you finding out about folic acid? Okay, well, I have, I have that SNP and I, I've got 70% reduced enzyme activity with that MTHFR gene um, for the 677T. So I, that means I'm an undermethylator. I'm a poor methylator. I'm pro- prone to being an undermethylator unless I get enough B9, which is folate. So I can't convert folic acid though to its more activated form. I can't use it. So I need to take it in that activated form so that I can use it. So that's that 5-methylfolate. I can use it in that form if I can consume it in that form. I can also convert it in food, in the food forms, but because I'm 70% reduced enzyme activity, I'm not going to get enough out of food to actually um, methylate 
proper as I would like to be optimally. So, and the marker for doing that is your homocysteine level. So, yep, personally, I've checked my homocysteine level. That's your marker for how well you're methylating. Um, Mine was 12. Now, 12 is the so-called on the high side of normal. Um, It's too high. So I wanted to bring it down, and I've managed to bring it down to 6 by taking activated B of activated B supplement. So I, mine sits at around six or seven now, quite nicely. So activated B supplement, not just B9, just not folate? I take the B complex because it's got a few other things in there that I feel I need, like choline. Um, I've got issues with choline. I um, B12, I've got some issues with B12, and I know you can't generally, there is B12 in it. It's not probably the most bioavailable form being you know, orally, but, um, and same with B6. So I tend to take the, the B complex, the activated B complex. Look, I, I do sometimes take methyl guard, which is, um, B9, which is folate and, um, the B12 and the B6, just the three of them. But I quite like to, oh, the B2 is the other one, the riboflavin. I like to get that because I have an issue with riboflavin. I can't process, I, I can't, um, you need B2 for the whole methylation and especially if you've got that MTHFR problem that I've got um, I need to be getting enough B2 in my diet so otherwise that you know the cogs in the wheel are not going to be turning if there's an issue up here even though I might have everything else it's that's going to hinder everything working normally so, um, so I like I tend to take the the B complex just because it's worked for me. It tends to work for most people. It's not expensive and um, yeah, we see results with it. Yeah. That's so, my one. All right. So um, what about, so, okay. So if a woman, let's say, um, now is it Ellen Vite? Ellen Vite, they, it's a. Ah, oh, the pre um, pregnancy one. What's it called? Ellen. So they're taking folic. Elevate. 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 Thank you. They're taking, you know, folic acid. If a woman comes to you guys, they've had the smart DNA done, and you recognise that they have the problem, you know, Sue, that you have, Mm -hmm. then you would say stay away from elegant. Would would I be right in saying Absolutely. I would say you need to be taking the activated folate, and they have the choice. There's some prenatal versions out there that have got activated folate in them. So, um, So I steer them towards those or they can take the B complex. There's nothing in that B complex that is not in those prenatal versions. So um, I just, I often, I know I understand the B complex quite nicely um, and I ne- most people don't need to take the full dose of it. They just need, you know, it might be one a day, it might be two a day just to get themselves methylating properly. Um, I don't like to see people take them too, too much because, you can flip the other way too, if you, you know. If so, it, it can become a little bit of a fine balance. But um, quite often, people just take the B com- B complex during uh, as a instead of a prenatal. But the options, the choice, yes. So, um, do you take it like you said? You know, they take one or two a day. But would you take it for a period of time? Take time off. Take it for a period of time. Take time off. Is that what you're doing? Like week on, week off, every second day. I've found with me personally that I 
tend to take up most of the time, but I only take, I'm on maintenance now, so I only tend to take one a day, whereas I have taken a higher dose in the past to bring my level down, but now I only take one a day, depending on what the homocysteine level is. And I always say you need your homocysteine level done. We need to check what your homocysteine level is and then let's work with that. And then we can recheck it again in a few months' time and just make sure that um, that it is coming down if it's been high. So, yeah. Your homocysteine level will indicate to you that they're under-methylated. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So what about... Um Let's say B12. Let's look at B12. Do you do, you do a test um, that tells us how they test? I often just say to them, get your B12 levels checked at the same time. Doctors will quite readily check their B12 levels. So they usually look at you when they when you want your homocysteine done, <laughs> but they'll check B12. That's become quite mainstream. So then we can either, we, we can look at B12 and think, well, that's not the problem, or it might be part of the problem but folate may also be the problem. And this is where the B-complex tends to cover all bases a little bit. Um, if their B12 is really low, if they're vegetarian, for instance, generally their B12 will be a lot lower and that's when they might need a sublingual um, B12. Yeah. But Because um, you can't get it. Most of the B12 comes from meat. Or fish, or you know, so when they're vegan, our gut bacteria makes B12. What's that? If it's healthy, our gut bacteria will make B12. If it's yes, right. But okay. if it's we've had it decimated with antibiotics and herbicides and yeah. all of those things. So if we have a healthy gut microbiome, it should be making B1, B2, you know, yeah. all that B vitamins, mm. our vitamin K. It's the, our microbiome is not enhancing our health because we you know we've lost that ability to do it now I'm gonna have to go I'm really sorry I've got an appointment that I'm meant to be at at half past so I'm gonna have to fly Cara can stay (laughs) all right Cara no pressure let's finish up with you you go Sue thank you so much I love this my students love it because it's just so ad hoc it's it's really good all right, yep. Sue. Lovely okay. meeting. Thank you. Lovely Thank you. Okay. See ya. Bye-bye. So there goes the expert. Oh, <laughs> I'm still the amateur learning. <laughs> I think you might be able to answer a few more questions. So I love the idea that we are looking at our genes and our SNPs and everything like that and alleles, and we can kind of prove it when we do a blood test. So mm. one of the things, I think it's called A1C, that they're testing for at the moment. I think it's the A1C. Is there any um, correlation between A1C and a gene SNP? At the yeah. A1C relate to. I mean, I'm, I haven't learned all what all they are now. Yes. A1C. That might be here. Heart and diabetes. Is that your methylation? You're talking about that because I haven't let them all off. No, you know what? I'm I'm asking you the question because you brought it up in my mind. Oh, okay. Yeah, and I'm just thinking, well, all right. I don't know them all off my heart yet. <laughs> you know when we do blood tests? Do you know when we do blood yeah. tests? Yeah. Oh, you're talking about the HbA1c with blood sugar. That's the one. That's Okay. I'm very used to doing that one, yes. So that's to do, yeah, to do with your, um, that's when you do it, it's a three-month how your body's working at some, your blood sugar levels. Yes. So, yes. Yeah. Is that correlated to something in that 100 that you do? 
Yes, there's a, a few of the genes are done for type 2 diabetes, yep. um, which is, hang on to you know, have a look at these ones up, 21. So, yes, they do look at a panel of ones for type 2 diabetes about your risks of getting type 2 diabetes. There's um, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven related to type 2 diabetes. One of them you may have heard of, it's called the FATSO gene. So, um, <laughs> and that's to do with the It's called FTO gene. I know, they call it the FATSO gene. That's terrible. I know, some of them have got very interesting name, names. But yeah, that one's called the FATSO gene. But um, that's the FTO gene. So, um, so that's around your risk of getting a higher, of having a higher BMI. So, and becoming, your risk of becoming obese. So that ties in. There's also a, a few genes that are around your um, weight loss yep. and how to lose weight. And having said that, I have some terrible weight loss genes because there's ones there that are around um, addiction and some of them come back with um, your feedback mechanisms. You have reinforcement mechanisms and your feedback ones. And so, yes, there's a panel for type 2 diabetes and panel for um, weight loss. So there's some of them around your um, appetite, your feeling of fullness, and whether you, you know, feel full at the end of a meal or not or whenever you're eating. Um, and it's interesting when you see some people, I had a friend who had her genetic testing done. She doesn't have that gene. She never has that um, genetic variant to feel full. And the number of times I, she gets the end of the meal, I said this to her afterwards. I said, every time we have a meal together and we've travelled together, etc. at the end of every meal, and she eats very well, she has a very healthy diet, she will say, oh, I feel so full. I've just eaten way too much. She says that every meal I've ever eaten with her, just about. And stop gap. Yeah, she just doesn't have that, that ability to feel full genetically, which I... So we were talking about that because I've got that ability. I've got that gene variant and I do feel full with most of the time when I eat. I get to a feeling of fullness. I said to her, though, it doesn't always mean I um, listen to what my body's telling me because if I'm out for dinner and I'm eating a beautiful meal and I'm feeling full when i am still got half a plate of food there, I think, I want to finish that. <laughs> may not be the best <laughs> So it's interesting how you see... How people do have those different, yeah, different feelings and different. But but you recognise them yourself. There are other things at play there. You know, there's yes, there's gerousin, there's insulin, there's glucagon, there's all of exactly. these things at play. And yeah. and like I, I, you know, type two diabetes. There was what seven um, genes, yes. and that's what we know. There could be more out there. So yeah. it sounds like that everyone will have a snip. But what I think I found fascinating is the whole, okay, this is it, go and have a blood test and let's check on that. And it gives us an idea. You know, when you get a blood panel done, there's just so much stuff they do and then there's so much stuff they don't do. And so you have to ask for it, such as um, homocysteine. They don't normally just do homocysteine. No, and when I first um, had my test done and um, that was on my little list of tests to go and have done, my GP wouldn't do it. She said no. She wouldn't do that at all. She refused. Um, there was a couple of others she refused to do as well. can't remember what they were off the top of my head, but I remember the home assistant. She looked at me like I was strange, and I actually ended up going through my naturopath and changed GPs to a more integrated GP because I don't get sick as such, um, and so I very rarely go to my normal GP, but I had 
been seeing a different integrated GP. But I went, he said, yeah, of course. And he wrote um, the panel of the tests to get done so I could um, to check that out and uh, make sure that I was on the right track with that. But I'm fortunate I have the, the better gene for the MTHFR, so that's probably helped me get through um, my life a little bit better. I may have some other issues, but <laughs> that's one I don't have. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. All right, so... Interesting, my family doesn't have a history of cancer on either side. My family has heart disease on either side of the family, both genetically. So I was, because there's a, um, a panel here that's um, around your lipid metabolism, etc. and there's a couple of ones like Sue was talking about her ancient genes. That all comes into play in that and that looks at um, what best diet is for you, etc. It recommends your percentages of fats, proteins and carbohydrates you should have in your diet based on your genetic lipid profile. And I found that fascinating because I actually had a good um, profile for my cardiac health and I thought, I, given that my family's got cardiac issues on both sides, I was convinced I'd probably have a really bad few reports there. But on the genes that is tested in this particular test, um, I'm pretty good there, which was good. And maybe given my situation being so overweight particularly, that's perhaps maybe saved me from having a cardiac event by my age, possibly. Who knows? Look, it's amazing because you can't always predict. I've seen very right. people have heart attacks. I've yeah. been with a guy, he's 46. And the other day I was saying to him, he, wanted, he, was, he was looking at putting Nativia in his coffee. Oh. And I said, I'll just put sugar in. Why do that? You <laughs> specimen. And he looked at me and he said, well, actually, I'm not. Cindy, I had a heart attack at 46. And I went, Leave the alone. Leave alone. Anyway, and he's this amazing, muscly, fit, gorgeous young man. That's, mm. And um, so you cannot predict by no. just weight alone, because like you you just said. So what I would like to go, where I'd like to go from here is mm-hmm. okay. So to get a smart DNA test, do mm-hmm. go online. They can do it themselves. They don't need a referral. No, you can go online and you can order a kit and you have to find a practitioner to go through. So there is a list of practitioners on the, um, the website or you can contact Smart DNA. They'll put you into contact with someone. So we and um, practitioners, aren't you? Yes. So how do they get in contact with you and Sue? So um, you can, I have a, um, neither of us have a um, website, but I have a page called Max Your DNA, so M-A-X. Why are you are DNA? So match your DNA. You can go on to there and um, like my page, please. <laughs> and you can message me through there, or you can email me at um, match your DNA at gmail.com. So that's M A X Y O U R DNA dot com. And then, um, you know, we can speak to you or email back and forth, send you a kit. Um, you can send that off. They do the test run every couple of weeks, so we usually say allow about four weeks to get the report back, sometimes it's less than that. And then um, we organise to sit down and go through the report. So this, for me, I'm still very much training underneath Sue. She's been doing this for over five years and um, she does Skype calls all around the world with people with this. Or um, if you're in Melbourne, we can organise to do it in person or sometimes if we're interstate at different things, we can do it then. Otherwise, it's the beauty of the internet and video like this is you can do it. 
whatever suits. It's great. So, um, and then, yeah, you get an um, email report, the 100-page report. Now, I'm a paper and pen girl, so I suggest to people they print it off and then we go through it because I've, no, I've written all over mine because you do get a lot of information and you write, I wrote all over mine and now I need to go back to refer it and that's just my personal experience. I think that's a, a good way to go, but whatever. If you can take notes electronically really quickly, if you're a more modern girl, <laughs> go for it. And then, yeah, we sit down and it usually takes about a couple of hours and I know I've been to other practitioners and taken my DNA test along. A lot of, you know, there's a number of naturopaths and integrated GPs who might use it, but I've found... Um, they will tend to have a look at it and just give you a very brief rundown of what you should and shouldn't do. And that's why when um, I love Sue's philosophy of, you know, you've spent this money um, to do it and you want to get the most information because you want to action it. It's you. It's not going to change. It's your DNA. So that's not going to change. Um, and you want to make the most of most of that information and get the most information. She's great. Um You've been contactable. You can email, and if there's a question she can't answer, Margie is very happy to to answer it. And um, okay. so that depends on the practitioner. So we charge five hundred and fifty dollars, and that includes the report. Yeah, report the two hours with you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, oh, what else was I going to ask you about? So the kits five fifty. That was easy. We just fit into the kit. What about yeah. if we do the microbiome as well? So that's um, I can't rem- I have to I have to get back to you with that I can't remember how much the microbiome test is I'm wanting to say it's a little bit less than that but the re- um, person Sue refers to to do the report from that's in Sydney and I know when she did hers she gave a comprehensive report with that and then like um, a dietary program suggestion to follow to correct the the microbiome which Sue followed and then did the test again a few months later to see the change. So that is something that does change. Okay. You know, of course, your, your gut microbiome, that's going to change over time. So, yeah, I'll have to get Sue to get back to you with how much that is. Okay. Yeah. Now, a lot of my graduates and mm. my undergraduates are um, business people. Mm. Is there an affiliate for Smart DNA and for you? Do you guys... So if they're sending people to Smart DNA um, or to a practitioner as you and Sue are, is there an affiliate program? I don't think there is at the moment. So I'd have to ask, and that would certainly be something that we could discuss with Maggie. She's, and Simone, who's the, um, her business partner in that. So I'm not aware that there is. I think it, you just go through the practitioner. I'm not sure if there's any plans for that either, but that could certainly be a question that um, I'll ask um, Sue and Maggie when I see her, yeah. Look, I think it's important because we refer, like I'm referring to people all the time. Mm. People refer to me all the time, and I actually... Um, reward people for referring to us. Yeah. Like if they do the course, they know that they're going to get a nice sizable uh, amount of money. And I think at the moment referrals are becoming more affiliate based. Yes. And you need someone like you to do the practitioner um, and say what kind of diet they should be on, what um, they know. My students know what I feel about supplements. I'm all into food. But I yes. understand we're at a crisis in our, um, our life at the moment and as long as we know where those supplements are coming from and how they're made and they're not from genetically modified things and we can, mm-hmm. you know, we look through all of that, um, then I think, you know, there are, there are sometimes reasons why we need to supplement. I know that with Casey when we did her 
Yeah, we went through um, 23 and we did microbiome through a culture one in, in Victoria. And I know when we did that and we looked at her SNPs and her variants, um, we realised that there was some supplementation she needed. She didn't need it lifelong, but she needed to at least mm. needed it. And then she got the tools to know when it was important that she go back to basics again and do the things that she needed to do from mm. there were so many things that she needed to do. But now she knows if she's running down, she knows, right, this is what I've got to do. So, um, I, you know, I, I think um, an affiliate would be really good if, if my mm. is Well, I'll find out. I'm not aware of one. Um, but I'll certainly find out if that's something that um, they're looking at, particularly as because it is a growing and changing field and I think that's important to look at how that's done. Wonderful. Yeah. All right. Well, we've been going just, oh, my gosh, we've been going well over an hour. <laughs> look, I, I think this has been absolutely wonderful, Cara. I'm um, just going to just have a quick word to the students and then I'll stop record. And then we'll have a little chat after. Okay, lovely. Thank you for this chance. And good luck to all of you students. I know, I know what you've been saying to me and I'm sorry it's taken me so long to come. But I think one of the things that I did learn at the Bioceuticals Conference to my students is that um, this is called precision medicine or precision nutrients, um, nutrition. And I, with the way the world is and the chemicals and the toxins that are available and the the um, DNA compromisation that we're now having because of methylation, because of not only DNA methylation but cell methylation, because of all the biochemistry we're starting to understand and the herbicides that are out there. I think that this is something that would be very smart (laughs) for people (laughs) to look at. Um, So I'm going to sign out with you guys. You, You know my take on supplements, but sometimes, just like medication, we need to go to emergency measures and this might be our way of finding precision um, nutrient intakes that we need in order to be, um, you know, to, to get be- be better at what we're doing. I'm, I know I'm learning all the time. So, All right. Well, tune in next time, all of our listeners. So join us here on Up For A Chat. Go to our Facebook page, allthews.facebook.com forward slash up for a chat, or you can also reach out to us at allthews.thewellnesscouch.com forward slash up for a chat. Leave us your comments, leave us your questions and your messages. Now join us here next week on Up for a Chat and become part of the ripple effect that's changing the world. See you next week, everyone. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.